Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network. I am one of your co-hosts this evening. My name is Justin, no clever nickname this week, Gerber, because I didn't write anything out this week for my introduction. I'm just kind of winging it right now. Wow. This episode is going to consist of your favorite King tweets from the last few weeks, some King news, some little to no King news, really, right now, but more importantly... We've answered a lot of your questions that you left for us on our Facebook page in a segment we happily call Bag of Bones, and we'll be getting to that a little later on. This, of course, is the last episode before our month-and-a-half run on Stephen King's It. We'll be talking about the book and both adaptations over the course of six episodes. So, Would you call those six episodes a jaunt or a long walk? Ooh, uh, well, I would say a jaunt because I, I hope it doesn't feel like a long time, mm. you know, because with the jaunt, you know, you get knocked out at least. Yeah, that's true. With a long walk, obviously, you feel it after a while. We're yeah. hoping it's a nice smooth ride of an estimated 15 hours worth of material. <laughs> I, I'm, it's probably going to be close to 20. I'm very worried at how much this is uh, going to take up and all the time it's going to take to edit it, but uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, we got, we've got some special guests joining us. We've got some returning guests. We do. We're excited to uh, have back on the old podcast, but enough about us and how great we are, or should I say enough about me and how great I am. Who am I talking to? This is Michael Molly Stroop. Well, actually, we're not talking about Castle Rock anymore, so this is Michael Rothman. She's forever in the universe, so you could she's, use her now. Uh, she's somewhere out there. Editor-in-chief and president of Consequence of Sound and constant contributor to the Losers Club Stephen King podcast. In addition to Halloweenies, a Michael Myers podcast, we're slicing and dicing one pumpkin, a.k.a. movie, all the way leading up to David Gordon Green's Halloween the Third. Halloween the Third. It's like Richard the Third. Richard the Third. Halloween Halloween the Third, which is what they might as well call him at this point. Uh, very exciting times for the Halloween franchise. We're all done with Halloween Resurrection, so mm-hmm. I can put the gun down. Um, oh, and, you, but um, you might want to put it right back up because oh. we're going to be covering Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2. Uh, probably one episode because we just don't have the time. Don't have the time. And it, you know, I don't think it deserved the time. No. As much as we hate Resurrection, it at least is technically part of that franchise in mm-hmm. some weird way. Yeah. This is an offshoot as far as we're concerned. Total offshoot. And besides, if you really want our true opinion of it, go put on Hellbelly Deluxe and, and blast it. That's what I feel. That's how I feel about those two movies. If you had a chance to see Rob Zombie headline a festival or White Zombie headline a festival, which one would you go to? Well, White Zombie had a couple of hits. But truth be told, I did go to the Riot Fest last year or two years ago yeah. full intention of seeing Rob Zombie. We did. Somewhat ironically, mm-hmm. albeit fully ironically. Yeah. But... I left beforehand. I was like, you know what? It's just not going to be worth a joke. We spent almost 48 hours parroting all of Rob Zombie mm-hmm. to the point he became our, our go-to meme and still is our go-to meme. And yeah, it was just like, nope, not going to wait. Yep, Got to go home. Three hours is too long. Yeah, it, was, it was time to go. I kind of agree with you, and I only got to see a couple of songs before I realized the, the joke was up. The joke was on us. The joke was on us. And, and our time and money. I don't need to see it. 
did not need to see it. Well, Mike, let's head back into Stephen King land with a segment we call Needful Tweets. He's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Please kill them all. Let God sort them out. You know, it's been a while since we've actually gone over some uh, tweets from Stephen mm. King. But we're not going to go all the way back to... No, no, no. It's it's probably just some random comments about mystery writers or something. Yeah, you know, or a great president. Anyway, so we're going to do the cutoff to August 30th, because there are some really good ones that I saw, and I didn't really feel like scrolling back any further. August 30th. So that's going to be my lazy way. It was a good week. It was a good week. On August 30th, he tweeted, I never got a chance to write about the reality TV show that tried to do a segment on the deserted town of Jerusalem's lot. They all disappeared. Don't go there. That's a reference to uh, Stephen King's novel, Salem's Lot, as well as his short story, One for the Road. That is true. And his short story, Jerusalem's Lot. Mm. There's three stories you could find that involve that spooky town in Maine. We're being sarcastic for no reason. It's actually a pretty fun tweet. I have, yeah, that's fine. That same day, he quoted uh, Bloody Disgusting, our friends over at Bloody Disgusting. They had tweeted, a sign Wendell comes across near the stop. And that's Wendell from Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, indicates that Salem's Lot is mere 24 miles away from Castle Rock. And Stephen King writes, that is almost exactly right. I always thought Jerusalem's Lot was a lot farther from Castle Rock. How many miles was it again? Well, let me look at my arm, which has a map of... <laughs> oh, there's, a, there's dog a, paws There's a dog paw. Yeah. That, that's where Cujo lives, mm-hmm. and that's Castle Rock. So mm-hmm. it, that's to the southern tip of Maine. And I South believe Jerusalem's West, Lot call it. is... Uh, Towards the north. Mm, northeast. Mm. And to be honest, I like Jerusalem's lot being a little further north and secluded because that makes the town that much scarier. Well, I heard Maine's only 40 miles across anyway. That is true. That's I can legend, run across Maine. Legend. Yeah. I could run across Maine like uh, Gump does, you know? Ooh. Like, what, what Force Gump just took place in Maine? <laughs> Probably be more believable, actually. Five minute, five minute, five minute jog for him. Yeah, good. You good. Force Gump 1994. Check it out. Yeah, good movie. Okay. Best picture winner. Great uh, movie. Great movie. Yeah. Next, mo- next movie. Beat Shawshank Redemption. Hey, Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, all great movies in their own right. Go ahead. I agree. August 31st, the day after the last one. The best book I've read so far this year is We Are Not Ourselves by Matthew Thomas, an old-fashioned page-turner. Deep emotional resonance. Four years old now, so try Amazon or your library. You'll thank me. Hope he's writing a new one. Four years ago. He hasn't written something since. Interesting. Hope everything's okay. Hope he does so. Come on. Matthew Thomas. Nah, I wonder if he's related to Henry Thomas. No. Star of E.T. No, no, no way. You don't think so? No. Okay. Well, on September 4th, there was a big gap there. I know that, but we're not talking about his uh, No, Trump we're not going to talk about the other guy. No, we're not going to talk about him. On September 4th, he tweeted, Sunrise Highway by Peter Blonner. First-rate suspense with a soup con of horror in the Hannibal Lecter vein. That is a reference to Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. of Thomas Harris fame. Yes. On sale today. You won't be disappointed. He said that again in the last... Oh, didn't he say something like that? No, he uh, says... I know you didn't say that. What if, he can, what if he wrote, read it. You might not like it, but I hope you do. <laughs> At least to be honest. Yeah, come on, Stephen. He, I mean, he's kind of sold us in the past on stuff that's not very good. Well, it depends on you know whether or not I like it. It's true. How about that deep statement? That is a very deep statement and kind of existential if you really get there. Mm. Um, okay. September 12th, the day after 9-11. Never forget. 
Someone asked me yesterday, what's the best movie you've ever seen? After a night to sleep on it, which I didn't really need, I can confidently answer, what do you think he picked? Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Oh, yeah, he actually did. Except it's called Godfather 2. Hey, it's great. I mean, a film I haven't seen yet. You know what's funny? It's one of those movies that obviously has been hyped for the last 45 years, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine you sitting down watching it and thinking, eh, it wasn't that good. I really oh, no, think, I know, think I it's, a, it's amazing. It's I mean, great. I've seen the first one and the third one. Interesting. Well, <laughs> maybe some things have been spoiled for you, but uh, I don't make know sure you I... want. You know what you should do? When was the last time you watched the first and third one, though? Has it been years? I've watched the first one recently. Okay, what about the third one? Oh, it's been since like, the first came out. I watched it on VHS. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. Interesting decision, by the way. It was to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm just gonna skip. My dad had one. so my dad worked at Blockbuster in the early '90s, and he came home and he's like, "I have an early copy, or early VHS before it comes out of The Godfather Three, and I just watched it with him. I mean, I don't. I think at that point, I hadn't even seen the first one. <laughs> this is really again. So I'm three, like only one, seven two. or eight years old. It's like so. your Halloween experience. Did you see Halloween Five first or something? Oh, like well, that? I almost did, and then I came. I took it back to the movie store because I thought it was evil. Well, moving on to the next one. Godfather right. 2 is a great movie. Three hours ago. It's uh, 7 o'clock now, Central Time, which mm. means at 4 o'clock he had written this. On a more cheerful note, Charles Gate Confidential by Scott Vandoviak is published today. Do yourself a favor and pick one up. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. Wait, save wait, it he for really the weekend. said that? No, no, he didn't. Oh, okay. He said, save it for the weekend. So what if I want to watch it now? Wait, is it a, is it a movie? No, it's a it's a book. You say you well, if you want to watch it now. You're so, oh well, if I want to read it now. <laughs> okay, there you go. I just want to yeah, make yeah. sure. I, I got. Well, confused. you can watch books. Use well, your you, eyes. Yeah, you do use your eyes. You're definitely watching words go by. That is true, uh, and, and discerning what they mean. Well, I there's uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, reading recommendations from the old king. Unfortunately, because of Stephen King and this podcast, I don't have time to read anybody else. I right don't now. either. I'm reading it since July. I have too. Uh, Scott Van Doviak, I believe, is uh, is an author that Randall references a lot. Hmm. I think you may be thinking thinking about Scott Vandermeer or Jeff Vandermeer. Could be. Continue. Could be thinking of uh, Jeff Daniels. Anyway, that's uh, Emmy about Award winner Jeff Daniels. Emmy Award winner Jeff Daniels for a show that nobody cares about. I watched two of that two episodes of, and I went, I think I'm gonna be good here. Yeah. Well, God have mercy on your soul. Godless is the show that we're talking about. Um, if you couldn't get our, uh, our our hints, that's it for needful tweets. Sorry, Ed Harris. Should we get Dan? Let's see if Dan's available. Let's nah, let's, let's just give him a call. Let's take a radio break here. This is KDK one calling KDK twelve. KDK one calling KDK twelve. Are you receiving? Well, this is exciting news, everybody. Calling in from the sticky streets of Austin, Texas. Dan Caffrey's on the other end of the line. Dan, how are you? I'm good. And boys, it's sticky here. We had a real scorcher on the books today. I uh, rode my bike home and boy, was I sticky when I walked in the door. (laughs) Dan, were you sticking to that seat? Oh, yeah. I sat down on that hot leather seat and I peeled off of it like a piece of Velcro because I was so sticky. Dan. Oh wow! Was that before or after you went to Seven Eleven, or uh, you know, put a you know baseball card in your spokes, or uh, you know, came <laughs> back from the baseball diamond, or anything else I could think of that people do in Texas? Yeah, they um, we like we were ki- we were playing soccer, but we weren't using a ball. We were using a tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> was that like? Was there somebody grilling some you know barbecue on the side of the? <laughs> of the yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's some brisket. Dan, we had some brisket in my neighbor's fence, and we're kicking the tumbleweed the whole time. Dan's like, got brisket for breakfast in the background. Lunch meat for lunch. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've heard beer. I've heard of beer for breakfast, but uh, here we do brisket for breakfast and beer mm. also. Don't mess with brisket. That's the slogan. Uh-huh. It is. A, I have a T-shirt that says that, and it has like fake stains on it because it looks like you know you're at a barbecue. Well, on the um, note of fake stains, there's no transition I could possibly make, so I will say this. Thanks to all the people who wrote us questions on Facebook. <laughs> we really do appreciate it. We have uh, we've sussed it out. Mike, you'd like to add something to, to my comments. Well, before we get to our bag of bones, uh, we just picked up Dan, and it's time for us to go to... <gasps> oh, Hollywood. There's a town on the coast of Del Sol. Always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul Always find my way there People there are forever young Forever young And they toast to each other's love Each and every night All right. Now, that was a fun transition. We played a little trick on you. Apparently, um, I was jumping the gun there. <laughs> jumping the gun. Well, we're in Texas right now, uh, driving towards Hollywood, and it's okay for us well, to use yeah, guns what, there. What news do we have again? Is there- oh, we got, we got two little pieces. Uh... The first off, uh, let's just say they both involve it, because they wow. do involve it. Uh, and this is a, good, a nice little prelude, because uh, you know, for the next two months, that's all we're going to be talking about is that goddamn clown in Derry, Maine. And I'm excited about it, actually. And I know that it didn't sound that way, but I am very excited. It's a excited. lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah, anyway. It's but, a lot. So what, what, what our, our good friend, screenwriter Gary Doberman, uh, confirmed that uh, <laughs> the ritual of Chud is going to be in It Chapter 2. Now, that seems pretty surprising to me because just last week we talked about how Gary Doberman, writer of The Nun, uh, box office success The Nun, mm-hmm. um, critical flop The Nun, of course, uh, was talking about how hard it was to take the characters that King had put together on the pages of it. With only you know 1,100 pages to work from. 1,100 pages to work from. And yeah. he thought it was very hard to bring the characters back together to the, the town of uh, Even Derry. though it was already spelled out for him in the novel. Pretty much spelled out. It would be like basically if like an architect who's already been established, paid architect, who's made millions of dollars in his job, which is what Gary Doberman has done, said, I just don't know what to do with these blueprints. Um, and you'd probably say, well, um, you're fired. But... Uh, Unfortunately, he still has that job, and we're definitely not going to get an interview with him down the road at this point. Either way, he says, The ritual of Chud is challenging, but it's such an important component to the book that we had to address it. There's that word again, challenging. (laughs) That stuff is difficult to balance, but because director Andy Muschietti, producer Barbara Muschietti, and I worked with each other before, when I'm writing pages and all that stuff, it becomes more of a conversation and less like, Hey, here's what I did. It's sort of organic. It's really kind of just chipping away at the stone and trying to find the most focused, successful way into some more metaphor. Oh, my God. This is the most boring quote ever. Either way, the ritual chud is going to be in it, chapter two. Sounds which like is exciting. challenges to give us a decent quote. <laughs> it's probably a challenge to uh, get up in the morning. Well, I'm looking um, forward to it, chapter two. I think it's going to be really good next year. You know, you know who's also looking forward to it, chapter two? Who, Mike? The master of horror himself. Not John Carpenter, but Stephen King. Mm. He visited the set. Um, our uh, good friend at Discover Dairy Maine, a great Instagram account that everyone should follow if you want a first-class ticket to the fictional town of Dairy Maine. Uh, Stephen King stopped by the set, uh, and um, James Ransom, who's going to be playing uh, Eddie Kasbrack, 
uh, the older Eddie Kasprak, uh, James Ransone. Did I say James Ransone or James Ranson? Yeah, it's Ransone. You're good. Ransone, James, right? James yeah, Ransone from sure. my favorite series on The Wire, season two. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, we got to meet Stephen King yesterday. He came for a set visit. It was so awesome. Talking to him, you realize that the people who are the best at what they do are always the most open and interested and curious and unique weirdos. So kind of throwing a little shade there. Uh, it, was always the mo- it was always the mediocre people that are a pain in the ass. He was so cool. He was just so open and down to talk to talk about whatever. Um, Ransone also confirmed that, uh, honestly, I have not filmed anything with Bill. I don't know anything about Pennywise. I haven't seen him around. The mystique on set for this is just as real for us as it is for the audience. Generally. Yeah, when, now when he says Bill, everybody, he means the actor Bill Skarsgård, not Bill Denver. <laughs> yeah, not Bill Denver. He, he has filmed the scenes mm-hmm. with James McAvoy. Yeah, he has. And... Uh, um, but when he says Bill Skarsgård, uh, he means Bill Skarsgård from Castle Rock, uh, who we now oh, know the is kid. Uh, the kid. Fascinating. Fun well, times. that wasn't so much news as it was information, I guess. It's a little information. All right, but nothing well, else news is information. Uh, sure. Okay. Like if I told you the sky is blue, it's not raining today, it's information. But it's not like, here we go, we got some breaking news coming in. This is true. <laughs> Well, the good news. What we're is trying that to say is not a lot going out on out there. There is really we're like nothing scratching going on. the bottom. We of were the scratching lake. the bottom. Oh, I did find. Speaking of it, uh, the 1990 Tim Curry action figure oh. that's available now that you can get from uh, NECA. Awesome! And it's really cool. Oh, I love NECA. It, it comes I, with I like bu- NECA. balloons. It, eh, it's NECA? probably NECA. It's, maybe <laughs> it's, like it's in your Zone, NECA right? of the woods. Uh, constant listening. Well, I always call that classic movie station Techum. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for that to land. <laughs> I like I, Amka. Wait for that to land. Uh, anyway. Tekken at first. <laughs> really confused. Uh, it's a classic game. It's a we miss classic it. Rest in peace, Tekken. Um, <laughs> Live on forever, Tekken. Tekken. All right. Um, any other, <laughs> any other uh, bits of information or news, Mike? Uh, no information, no news, and no bits. Well, before I was really interrupted by the normal <laughs> programming that we have for these episodes. <laughs> I want to thank all of the listeners out there for writing in on Facebook and asking us some questions. We had a lot of really good ones this week. Now, a couple of these questions have either been omitted or, or pared down because they're too spoilerific, uh, or we've answered them in the past, so we just didn't include them. If you ask multiple questions, I don't think you're going to have two of your questions on this episode, but we did pick the best of your two, so keep that in the back of your mind, that the other one was worthless. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> so... I've got the questions here. Are we ready to open up this bag of bones? I'm ready to open. Let's do it. Leading off, somebody I, I believe has been with us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Right? Love Jeff. And whose name I still can't pronounce, but I'm going to try. Let me give my best. I'm going to say it's based on the, the musical artist and Kristen Bell's husband. When I say, Jeff, see a deck. <laughs> I'm really Wait, Kristen Bell, <laughs> Dak Shepard? Yeah. Uh, I love uh, um, Why did I use my foot? Dak Prescott. I should have used the Dallas Cowboys. Anyway. Anyway. We're not going to edit said, that uh, out. You know, this is natural. Back, Luke's flight partner's name is Dak, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Dak! Doesn't he get does he get blown away in that? Yeah, he dies. He's worthless. Well, here's a here's a here's a non worthless question for everybody. Okay, have any of the losers made any connections between King's work and non related pop culture? Yes. Oh, where? Well, Stranger Things obviously is is much more of an homage, not direct. Okay, mm-hmm. that's one. 
uh, in the book Nos for A2, aka Nosferatu by Joe Hill, his son. Dairy exists. Dan, you confirm that, right? Yes, I can. Well, it's um, or Pennywise, you see it on a map. right? Yeah, you yeah, see you it on the map. You, yeah. you see it on a map. You see, I think it's Pennywise's circus. That's what it is. Um, yeah. It sets it in the same. And, and the the main character, or not the main character, the main antagonist of Nosferatu is a Pennywise-esque figure. He's actually more sympathetic than Pennywise, but it's that same thing of a monstrous creature who lures children um, and feasts on their fear. I've got some. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Lost. That's my third one. Oh, go for it. Uh, no, go, you go. Uh, you know, the man in black. That was a big thing, yeah. That was big a big thing. one. I think the fact that the island operates on a wheel is another big thing. <laughs> that is true. Cause a wheel. Yeah, and, and there's like the recurring... time traveling, yeah. obviously, and there's obviously a lot of allusions to... Stephen King directly in a couple episodes. I think the big remember the um, I forgot the whole plot anyway. But the bottom line is there are some Stephen King books that are involved in a, in a joke. There's a vague uh, conclusion to the answer for you, everybody. Uh, anything, Dan? Do you have anything that you can think of? Yeah. Well, so the thing that first came to mind. I guess this is maybe cheating a little bit because it's this is Stephen King referencing another work, but I didn't know until semi recently where it came from in the second Dark Tower book. So spoiler alert, because I haven't gotten to that yet. But in the beginning of the book. One of the guardians of the beam is the bear, Shardik, which is uh, from the book Shardik by Richard Adams, who wrote uh, Watership Down. Uh, so that was one that came to mind. I don't even know if – I don't think they ever say that in the book. It's not like some of the other pop culture references. I think it's just more of like a little nod to it. And uh, you guys are going to hate me for this one. There's that stupid um, Family Guy sequence where they show Stephen King trying to pitch his new oh, ideas. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it's, a, it's a dumb joke. I think we've talked about it on here before. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I feel like we're in an age where there, there are a lot more of homages and other works of pop culture that were inspired by King. Like you guys brought up Lost and Stranger Things. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at. Like, so, so, like yeah, I know that's, that's, it's like, I remember like Silent Hill has a bunch, uh, because like the, the, the old, the whole mist thing is very similar. Oh yeah. The whole plot. The, yeah, the, yeah. the fact that you don't see things, there's, um, there's like posters for like Pet Cemetery and Carrie in the movie or in the game. Could we um, argue that the monkey in Toy Story 3 is supposed to be the, the monkey from let's, Skeleton Crew? Let's just add it in there. Let's just add it yeah, in there. Might as well. Might as well. Who's going to stop us? Um, I, Rick and Morty had an episode. They uh, did. Recently, a the, needful thing. Rick it this week comes. Yeah. Yes. It's a very effective and funny episode. You know. That's a great example of a show where I think the show is really, really good and really clever. Mm-hmm. I think its fans are awful. Yeah. Kind of how I feel about, about Radiohead. Um, well, hey, speaking of Radiohead, uh, the video for Karma Police has a driverless car. And oh, maybe we know that. Oh, yeah, Christine. That could be, yeah. Be Christine. And by the way, Radiohead is you know my favorite modern band. I just wanted to point that out. This is not a slam against Radiohead; it's a slam against some of their, I guess you would call them blinded fans who well, think everything they, is wonderful. You certainly wouldn't call them Radioheads because that's no. us. But you know what? I would call Radioheads Radioheads with a Z. That's right. Myself, Mike Rothman, and Dan Caffrey, and Randall Colburn. Before we were, before we were full-grown Muppets, we were Muppet Babies on our very first <laughs> podcast we put out there. It's a definitive podcast on the band Radiohead. You'll never find a better podcast. You'll, you'll about never Radiohead. find a more informative, That's factually great. correct uh, series. So check it out. We're at, we are on iTunes. Oh, yep. I just thought of a, a big one. Oh, that yeah? Be, um, Ready Player One, of course, has that uh, that Shining sequence in yes. there. Yes, that's a good Although one. Although that's kind of related because it's the exact same thing. And um, I got are, I got one also that's uh, oh, yeah. a deep cut. I'm pretty sure nobody's going to get on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go first, Dan. Please go. Oh, I was going to say, I, I bet if we poured through music, we would find a lot of them. For instance, there's the rapper. He spells it, I think, K-H-U-J-O, but it's uh, Kujo Goody, who's in Goody Mop. Mm. Um, I 
think that was is maybe a reference to Cujo, and I'm and I'm sure the rappers talk about horror films and books a lot, so I feel like there's some probably some more Stephen King. There ones is there. actually a, a big one, and I'm not sure if you guys mentioned this. I was not on the Talisman episode. But Ash's song "Jack Names the Planets" is about Jack Sawyer from the Territories. Oh, interesting! And that song, that song, I believe, is on the Angus soundtrack. If you are uh, big fans of that film and that soundtrack, which hey, is a great and, soundtrack. Hey, uh, there's a Stephen King connection to Angus also because George C. Scott's in it, who is also in Firestarter. Yes, ah. starring Drew Barrymore, uh, who's also in Fever Pitch, uh, which also includes uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. <laughs> Who is a who is a big fan in that movie of the Boston Red Sox? Stephen King wrote a story a, a book called Faithful about the Boston Red Sox. This is great, and the girl who loved Tom Gordon also has a lot to do with the Red Sox. That's too. true. Yeah. That is true. I um here, I got one more. Um, I got a pretty cool one. In uh, Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko, the mother mm. is reading uh, a copy of it at the very beginning, and it is if you want to get uh, with like the whole spectral stuff without spoiling too much with the turtle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very um kind of similar with what's going on with like the time traveling like a lot of the physics in donnie darko so it seems to be almost like a spiritual homage to uh, a lot of the stuff that is discussed in the movie it also this is crazy because i just looked up the picture of the mom reading it there's another scene in the movie with drew barrymore who's also in donnie darko oh that is true holding ah. up Watership Down, a copy of Watership Down by Richard Adams, who wrote Shardick, who is in okay. uh, Dark Tower 2. This is crazy. Oh, my God. And there's a bunny rabbit in Donnie Darko. Maybe we're actually in an episode of season two of Castle Rock right now. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> it could all incredible. be tied together. Oh, also, they go see Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead, the sequel being a, a, a movie that was brought to theaters because of Stephen King. The sequel, Evil Dead 2, produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who as we all know, is uh, the number one Stephen King fan out there in Hollywood. Wow. He's and definitely not dead. You've got, uh, <laughs> you've got The Shining being shown in Twister. I just remembered that, That too. is true. That's There's right. That's right. Well, uh, no joke. Very scary when I saw that in theaters. I was, too. Because they just kind of show it on the driving screen. We got to move on. We'll be here for another six hours. That is true. Next question from Sarah Davis King. Any relation? <laughs> what, what ending... To a King novel or short story, did you find the most disappointing? Now, let's say these without giving any spoilers. As to, you know, just, let's just keep this one simple. Dan, what is the most disappointing King ending to a novel or a short story? There's, there's probably a better one. And I actually like this book overall. But I'm talking about the very ending, how they resolve things or what they reveal the villain to be. And that's going to be needful things for me. I have a witness here. Can you please point out what I also have written here? Needful things. Needful things. That's <laughs> wow. right. Uh, I think it's a it's a great book. It's a long book, but it's it works for the most part until the last what Dan, fifteen it's pages, just, if even that, yeah, it's, maybe it's even just, less and, than that. And it's and it, it, you could almost just take that little part out, the part we're both talking about, and yeah. I think it would be fine. I don't think you would lose anything from it, but yeah, yeah. that's it for me. You know what? I, I'm I'm looking forward to reading that again because maybe as an adult, it'll have a different effect on me. I don't know, but anyway, that's all, that's all I'm going to say. So if anybody wants to find out that hasn't read Needful Things, just blow your blow the ending and go to the very end and see what we're talking Let's about. Let's go to the very end. Yeah. Mike? I would say The Running Man because I actually think that oh, the, although the book. the book doesn't work as a whole as much as it should, the ending is what really yeah, brings it to It's a pretty bad ending. Bad. I mean, they could have still salvaged that book mm-hmm. if he would have not gone to the lengths he does to make a, a Michael Bay movie. So I would... Uh, 
Agree. That's an awful, that's also an awful ending. Yeah, but short story, there are a ton, and there are a lot. Yeah, you know, something sometimes it can back comes to mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I know. I know what you need comes to mind as well. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't need that. So hey, I guess they didn't know what we needed. <laughs> Not really. Um, Next question. Another person who's been here with us for a long time. Love him. Can I read this one, Mike? John Paul Rivera asks, "What piece of fiction would you drop Cujo Cuj into?" as to have the most disruptive effect. Mm. You want to start this one off, Mike? I would uh, drop the cooge in uh, Lord of the Flies. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Then the beast would be real. Yes. Change the whole thing. Speaking of the beast, why don't you throw him in that old Sandlot movie? Oh, yeah. That actually would be pretty great. <laughs> but it actually would be a murderous and dog. It'd really be a murderous dog, and they go back there and... Uh, James Earl Jones... Eyes have been bitten out. Oh, um, God. D- Dan, <laughs> Dan, go ahead. <laughs> so th- this is a great question. I mean, you could this could apply to so many things, but for me, I said 127 hours. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. What, that'll be the equivalent of Gerald's game where he's just trapped there and the dog <laughs> stalking him out. But the dog can't quite reach him. Yeah. And it's yeah, just under yeah. him the whole or time. Or the dog is also caught between the rock <laughs> and has to gnaw through its own legs. Like who's gonna get out first? So it's kinda like um it's like that scene in Peter Jackson's King Kong when like the two of them are like like the the T Rex and the and Kong are swinging like right next to each other. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah. Almost biting him. Like the yeah, whatever. I'll never forget well, that. Dino movie. Dino Ballet. The Dino yeah. Ballet, yeah. Woo! I actually like uh I like um Jackson's Kong. What yeah. can I say? Well, I went to see King Kong the Musical um, on Broadway this this uh, winter. I just looked up uh, footage of it, and that puppet, that King po- Kong puppet, looks amazing. So uh, if you guys are looking for some cool footage, look for that. King Kong coming well, Dan, to Broadway. I'm glad you mentioned musicals, because what I would drop the old Cooge into would be the musical Cats. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if he was the antagonist in Cats and uh, they're singing Mr. Mistopheles and Cujo like rips off somebody's calf? That'd be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Wouldn't be Rum Tum Tugger so much as Rum Tug uh, Runner. Rum Tum Deader. Rum Tum Dagger. Yeah. Um, they would make the play far more exciting. Uh, as a child who uh, loved animals, didn't like cats. Mm-mm. Well, you know, Cats the musical is coming out next year. Oh, the movie. And I believe Taylor Swift's going to be in it. Oh, that's going to be exciting. Hopefully, she's, she's on the roll. Her last album. She's on the roll right now. Next question, Mike, read this one. All right. Billy Schwenson says, or asks, if you had to give an original book or short story title to the first season of Castle Rock, what would it be and why? Oh, That's a good question. Have, a great, some great bits. I, uh, I kept it minimal. I'm a minimalist at heart. Mm, okay. And my answer was the schisma. Or schisma. Hmm, I like that. You're like, because you're like, what the hell is this, man? And then you watch the show. You oh, it. now I know what it means. Yeah. Especially in that scene that you like. Uh, the actual episodes, when they actually show it, is good. But the, yeah, uh, yeah. The exposition is awful. Dan. Oh, man. All right, I'm going to reveal something. I actually haven't watched the finale yet of Castle Rock, so I feel like that would change my, um, my view. But so any short story. Oh, man. Um, it's so hard because there's something. I don't know, Mike. Do you, have, do you know yours? Yeah, I, I got one. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Unfocused. Yeah, but unfocused. You're just being sarcastic. I'm, being I'm saying, sarcastic. what would you actually yeah. call? This what would season? I actually call it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Henry Deaver. Actually, that's really good. 
Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. That's really good. Because if it's a short story, I would see it more as a short story. I see it like a a novella. And if it's in like Skeleton Crew or something like that, it could easily be called. Well, I like the title because obviously it has two meanings. Yeah. I totally misread this title. I thought we were taking, or this question. I thought we were taking an already existing Stephen King title and applying it to. Cassie. No, 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 no. Why do you think I said um, the schisma? Yeah, <laughs> that's just what I mean. like, Was it from Nightmares and Dreamscapes? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess then, I, I, just off the top of my head, I would, I would call it uh, "Down in the Hole." That's what I would call Ooh. it. Ooh, oh, would uh, would Jerry Cantrell make a appearance and? Yeah, you could. Well, I was gonna say you could use the Tom Waits song, but that's already used in The Wire. So yeah, yeah. we're gonna use out. We're gonna use Ryan Adams' cover of "Down in the Hole" as the theme song. That's I like that. Gonna... I like that. I like, I like this. I like this answer. Okay, next question coming from Joshua Brookshire. This is a bit of a political question, so fast forward a minute if you can't take the heat. Are Harold Lauder and Ben Hanscom the two sides of the coin in predicting and diagnosing what is now termed incel? That's a good question. And I, I think that Harold great Lauder question. is a, a, a great example of what you would identify an incel as. Mike, if you want to Google incel and read a definition for our listeners out there without getting too political, please. Incels are members of an online subculture who define themselves as unable to find a romantic or sexual partner despite despi- desiring one, a state they describe as inceldom. Self-identified incels are mostly white, male, and heterosexual. And they're also ultimately... What gets tagged onto that is a lot of them are misogynistic. Yeah. Um, every negative attribute you can have. Um, a very bitter, would, very bitter yeah. people. Very bitter. It's like Nick people. Beards almost. What was that? I, I, like Neck Beards? Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. So, Neck yeah, beards definitely. definitely in there. I well, think yeah, Harold's I, a great example. Yeah. I, I think when we did the stand episode, we even, we even said uh, Harold is the example of the, in quotes, nice guy, which is what I attribute to Incel also. And I actually don't, th- I wouldn't, I would not put Ben Hens come in there because. I think there's a certain amount of self pity that has to go into yeah. belong to that community, and Ben yeah. never really does that. Even when he things don't work out for him, it's never like, a, "Oh, why can't I get a girl? I'm so fat and stupid," or "Oh, fucking Bill and Bev." It's it's very much more like I feel like he actually deals with heartbreak very maturely. So I, I would say Harold is like the poster child for incel, but I would not put Ben in that category at all. What about you guys? Though? Uh, no, I agree 100 percent because it's one thing if you're if you're sad over a situation, but it's another thing if you're bitter and angry and and outwardly so. And that's what I believe in incel is for the most part. And I don't mm-hmm. think Ben is ever like that. I just think, you know, he's sad, and but he deals with it. He, you know, gets better. Well, but we'll be talking about Ben Hanscom in our six <laughs> episodes of it. So yeah, I, plenty of I don't want to talk about that too much. Mike, do you have any, any thoughts on that? 
I don't really like Harold Lauder, but I like uh, Ben Hanscom, so I would probably agree with Harold. And let's keep Ben out of it. And you identify, yeah. but you identify with Harold Lauder. I absolutely do. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a manipulative nice guy. Um, oh god! And I'm a neckbeard, yeah. and I'm uh, everything that you could put under the sun. So that is a uh, really good question, though. I really, do I actually do think that's a good one. That question. So I, I would, great question, Josh. I would probably lump. Um, Oh, God, what's his name? I'm not going to think about it. I'll, I'll come back to me later about it. Okay. okay. I could, there are some other characters in King's Oh, there's, there's a number of I think this is a good example. These are yeah. some, this is a good example. Next question from Ooh, Jonathan like O'Donnell. This is a non-King question. Here we go. Yeah. What is the best John Carpenter, Kurt Russell movie? Should we all say it on three? Cause I think yes, we all I think we'll all agree. All right. One, One, two, two three. three. The Thing. The Thing. The Thing, the thing. Right, yeah. Cool. I think that he's made... A few really good movies with John Carpenter, but I think the thing is the thing that we all go back to. What if we were all like Elvis? Yeah, I think <laughs> Elvis is actually really good. I it still haven't seen good, it. Yeah. It's supposed to be great. But uh, look, the thing is awesome. I tried to go see it on Saturday night with my girlfriend, and uh, it was too hot. Uh, and not because of uh, the romance, but uh, because the AC was broken in the theater. And uh, I was very disappointed because uh, it's my church. And you know, my church if you can't take the heat, get out of the music box. I was, more, is, uh... I was actually more worried about the venue because I love the music box theater so much. And when it gets hurt, I have a, a psychic link, kind of like E.T. with uh, the young Elliot. And that's the second E.T. reference I've made this episode. So You can't make too many E.T. references. Can't. Great movie. Can't. Well, we're currently developing because, the sequel. Uh, the last time I saw the thing in theaters, I think it was with you, Mike, at the Vic. And it was actually too cold. Remember, it was, it was cold. during the winter. It was. I kind of like that, though, because it you know fit the movie very well obviously with the arctic uh setting but, but yeah that's but there's an asterisk to that because uh it was a great setting and the problem with uh, the vic theater and this is why i love the music box so much is that they didn't care if uh the, the volume was too fucking low yeah uh, it was low. so you couldn't even hear anything that was going on in the movie and matt mellis who is our editorial director at uh, cos this is his first time seeing it and i had to pretty much Give him a play-by-play of what the hell is going on because <laughs> that movie is not a silent film and you need dialogue. So, uh, yeah. I just want to watch the fucking thing. Love the thing. Let Love Escape from New York. Big Trouble. Uh, and Escape from L.A. We'll talk about it another time. Uh, Mike. Luke Gloystein asks, do the losers have an opinion of Harlan Coben? Furthermore, what are some of your other favorite authors other than Uncle Steve? Now, Harlan Coben was mentioned a lot in The Outsider. I remember Randall and Mel were making jokes about how, how often he was mentioned in that book. I am not familiar with his work at all. Mike, Dan, are either of you familiar with his work? It's uh, it's funny that this question came in. So at UT right now, I'm in a uh, writer's room, like TV workshop with uh, the guy who used to be the showrunner on The Dead Zone and a woman who used to also work in The Dead Zone and, and Haven. And I, he, I told him about the podcast, and we were talking about Stephen King, and he's really good friends with Harlan Coben, and I haven't read The Outsider yet, and he was like, oh, if you're The Outsider, they keep mentioning Harlan, and I felt bad because he was saying it like I should know who Harlan Coben is, and I didn't have the heart to tell him that I didn't, but now this is one of those things where I've heard him mentioned like two or three times, and then on the pod also in the past couple of weeks, so... Although I'm not familiar with him, I now want to check out his work. So thank well, you for the, the recommendation. Uh, he was born into a Jewish family in Newark, uh, New Jersey, raised hey, in Livingston. Jersey boy, Jersey boy. He uh, graduated uh, Livingston High School, uh, not uh, in honor of uh, Ron Livingston, I don't think. No, but uh, his dad. childhood friend and future politician Chris <laughs> Kist- Chris Christie. So he's friends with him. Um, and, <laughs> well, hold on, we don't make any assumptions. He's friends with Chris and, Christie. And uh, he was his childhood friend and future was uh, was a. Uh, 
is was Chris Christie. Well, you know, people grow up. That's true. Well, either way, he was also a member of the Psi Upsilian fraternity, which uh, also held uh, writer Dan Brown. Ooh, the, uh, the, the, the plot thickens. The plot thickens. We don't need to hear the rest of his We don't have to go through all of it, God's but sakes. not but, yeah. very familiar with him. Uh, I am familiar with his background now. So now, now we know he was friends with Chris Christie. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, other, Okay, so the other question, though, is uh, what are some of your other favorite authors? We've really answered that question. I We've think. never really gone through yeah, it. That we've much. only gone through that. I share one with uh, Caffrey, though. And we could probably talk four hours and create our own podcast about him. One, two, three. Brett. And Rand. Yeah. Oh, love oh him. sorry. Um, <laughs> Alice Shrugged is probably my favorite. <laughs> no, um, go ahead. Uh, Dan or Mike, you kick it off. Brady Snellis. I, yeah. Other than Stephen yeah. King, I could pretty much do a podcast literally right now. With this same recording, on go through every one of his books and dissect all of them. He to me is my David Lynch of liter- of the literary field because I either love or hate. There's like there's no in between. Yeah, f- for me with him. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's he's written at least three masterpieces in in my humble opinion. My uh, my favorite book of his, which is not your guys' favorite book of his, oh, um, yeah, but he he has. Oh, here it is. Are you gonna say book? Lunar Park? Yeah. I love that oh book. god, that, that's one of the ones I hate. It's the most Stephen Kingy. He even said that he was he uh, was it really, really drawing inspiration from Stephen King. I love. I mean, I, I do. I don't. You know what? The only one I could not super get into is uh, Glamorama. Oh, the, see, that's one of my favorites. That's I, the one I haven't read. I love Glamorama is an epic. I really the only ones that I don't like are oh, man his last two. Like I I hated Imperial Bedrooms. I hated that. Um, I, uh, I thought I Lunar it. Park. That was great. <laughs> I would give Lunar Park like a B minus. I don't like it at all. Um, I because I, I I really love the um the beginning. I love the middle, and it's really just the final act that kind of just I feel like could be written tighter. But he's I still think he saves it with an ending. Um, but again, it's I feel like the concept gets kind of tired in it. It's a very meta book, and it's when he starts getting a little too meta for my taste. And he went full fucking meta with Imperial Bedrooms, and that drove me nuts. Yeah, it was um, too cute. But seriously, Rules of Attraction is one of the most invigorating reads I've yep. ever had, um, I've ever experienced. American Psycho, if you want to talk about scary and fucked up and messed up, mm. you will never find another more disgusting, foul, this, this crazy visceral, fucking visceral book than American Psycho. And I know that sounds like cliche and stereotypical, but holy shit. I don't I don't I don't ever get sick from gore in movies or whatever, but man, I was I was like bowling over. I also years. love uh, Less Than Zero. Love Less Than Zero. It's like the catcher of the ride um, of the eighties. So Dan, what do you got? Oh man, hi. Uh, what can I say? I'm a big reader. Um, we're, if we're talking fiction authors, uh, Justin, one of the ones you and I share, Philip Roth for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Cormac McCarthy. Um, mm. I've read all of his stuff. If, if we're staying in the horror world, um, I think I've mentioned her. I know Randall has on the podcast before. Is Lauren uh, Bukes? I think I'm saying her name right. Yeah, I, know, I read. Um, I read The Shining Girls, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I love Shining Girls. I love Broken Monsters. Um, she wrote this book called. Uh, Oh man, is it called Zoo City? Or they're making a movie out of it. It's a science fiction one. Uh, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big horror fan of her. No, no, it's funny though. I don't know if you guys feel this way. Um, oh, Shirley Jackson. I think she, she's actually one of my favorite. Who's that? Who's that? Shirley. Jackson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, what a jokester. Honey of Hill House actually is is a very oh, very terrifying story. Yeah, we, her yeah, short we stories are amazing too. And the lottery is probably the most prescient short story you could. Uh, yeah, it's great. See today, yeah. our age of Twitter. Dan, what were you gonna say though? Well, I was going to say it's interesting because, you know, we get a lot of um, – I know in Bag of Bones and elsewhere in social media, we get asked a lot about other horror authors we love. And I read a little bit of horror, but, I, you know, I've, I'll have i get recommendations and I'll, I'll read a lot of current horror. And I don't know. I'm going to sound like such an asshole. I feel like so few authors do 
fleshed out characters as well as Stephen King. And that's always the gateway mm-hmm. for me into his horror. Um, and so I actually have a hard time discovering contemporary horror authors that I really love. Like I said, Lauren Bukes, um, Shirley Jackson's not really contemporary, but I, I enjoy her stuff. Um, I think the, the thing is, yeah. Dan, and I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I for think sure. it's uh, maybe the reason we love King so much is because we're so impressed with the fact that he's actually able to, like you said, to, to be scary, but to tell an interesting story with interesting characters as opposed to just relying on either gore or scares. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, and there, I feel like a lot of horror that I've, I've tried to get into in the past few years, um, I feel like Randall and Mel are, are way better versed in it than I am, but, um, yeah, Oh, definitely. Definitely. They're, they're, they're like up on, but I'll, and some of their stuff they recommend, like I, I'm thinking of ending things was fucking excellent. That was great. Ian Reed. Yeah. He's actually so got, good. Ian Reed has a new book called foe that just came out. That's supposed to be even better. So I'm yeah, really looking forward to checking uh, that out. But yeah, I'm amazing. thinking of ending things is really, really good. So good. I, I haven't loved any of his follow-ups, but Nick Cutter, uh, The Troop, I know we've talked about that one. But um, I, I, what I'm finding when I read a lot of like modern horror is that there's a lot of like ambiguity in it, which I would normally say is not a bad thing, but it also extends to the characters, which I don't love. Like I don't need them to explain every last thing about a monster, but I want these people to be really fully developed. And I, I really do feel like no one – does that like Stephen King? I know it's such a cliche thing to say on a Stephen King podcast, but yeah, I feel like I'm always hungry for horror that I like as much as as him, and it, it's rare that I find it. I uh, I too, Ellis uh, Roth. I got one. Um, oh yeah, good. I got one more. Have you guys ever heard of uh, Ernest Hemingway? Oh, tell me about <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. No, you. We, we, we all know Ernie. Ernie, love we Ernest Hemingway. Ernie. I just watched hey, a, a movie called The Breaking Point, which is based on to have and have not. Oh, Ernest, nice. Ernest Hemingway's the movie's okay. I will say this: the last five great books I've read. How about that? Go for it. The last five great books I've read: The you Force read? by Don Winslow, not Star Wars, which is I think it'd be made into a movie that David Simon's adapting. Yeah, it's the book is really really good. It's about uh, Star Wars. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, there's a really, really good book, Total Opposite, called Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson, who, who writes a, a lot of young adult fiction. This is uh, not that. Don't you love these vague reviews? Really good. Not what you think it is. Uh, I, I've read a lot of books on the Beatles, and I've seen a lot of documentaries, and, and I grew up with the Beatles. But Rob Sheffield's Dreaming the Beatles is a really interesting take on the Beatles. Hey, friend of the pod. Yeah. It's a... Um, is he really a fan of the a fan, a friend of the pod? Oh, he's a friend of us, but sure. I, I love oh, that's somebody I love Rob Sheffield, but it's a really good take. Just when you think you've heard every take you can on the Beatles, check out Dreaming the Beatles. Jamie Attenberg's All Grown Up came out, I think, last year. Also, very good, very moving book about a woman coming at a crossroads that I think we all we all get to at a certain point in our lives. Bernie Spears, very good. Uh, Zoe Zaldana. <laughs> Little Fires Everywhere, Celeste saying everybody's talking about it, and it lives up to the hype. I think it was a probably the best book I read I've read so far this year. So there you go. There's the, so I, you know, there's uh, Chris Rock's top five. There's Justin Gerber's. I got five. I got number one book of the year. <laughs> I haven't finished reading it, but um, Room to Dream mm. by David Lynch. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm about you know. 15% through the the book, but already I'm ready to declare it's going to be the the book of the year because I love David Lynch. I'll, so. I'll definitely check that out. Probably. Leading up to our Tommy Knockers coverage Ooh, next year. Nice, that'll be good to wet the palate. I uh, I also read a, a shitload of plays, so I, I won't list them here. But uh, listeners, if, if you want play recommendations, I got a lot of them. Uh, 
The theater is magical. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't got around to, to reading Tennessee Williams to Glass Menagerie, you should really give it a shot. Yeah. Hey, okay. if, what about Arthur Miller? Uh, I hear, um... I actually don't. I'm not a big fan of either of those those guys. But hey, oh, wow. teach his own. Arthur Miller, I, I, think, I don't know how I feel about him as a, as a human being, but uh, that's, whoa, that's, whoa, that's, whoa, a, that's whoa, another whoa, podcast. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, good, luck, good luck in this industry, uh, Dan. Um, keep, uh, <laughs> keep, keep saying shit about uh, Arthur Miller. Um, oh, no, dude, he, he's he a great American. Modern theater circles. Yeah, well, he uh, he also had a uh, uh, differently abled son that he shut away in an asylum and didn't acknowledge for decades until Daniel Day Lewis, his son-in-law, made him uh, made him go. Is that really him. true, oh. Daniel Day Lewis? That's true. That is true. Yeah, the, the guy to, was uh, that was in Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, because he was he was in the Crucible, which Arthur Miller adapted, obviously, because it's his play, and uh, he's married to Arthur Miller's daughter. And his son, I think, I think his son's name is Daniel Rose, also named Daniel. Um, Daniel Day Lewis and his wife uh, convinced Arthur Miller to finally acknowledge this kid. I mean, there's a lot of contextual stuff that I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to make the man a demon, but uh, he, he, for uh, someone who considers himself a moralist as a playwright, uh, maybe his own morals aren't aren't. I like. I have a hot take. You know, I feel like a lot of people who who consider themselves moralists are the most non-moral of all. Oh, pretty <laughs> much. Some might even use the word amoral. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, Arthur Miller had the last laugh. He was married to Marilyn Monroe for five years. It was, um, he he well, wins. You know, I, didn't, I didn't know the guy. And context is everything. I don't want to pass judgment. But, uh, he, but let's just say he is uh, – the man has multitudes, as our friend Randall Colburn likes to say. We'll just say that. Okay. Okay. Let's go to the next question. Here we go. Next question. <laughs> What's your favorite Arthur Miller play? No. Um, <laughs> this is from uh, Megan Mushka Hudson. This is actually for Dan because Mike and I – I have not read this book. I have not. Oh, for real? Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. Do you think Mike Flanagan would be a good choice for Rose Matter? And who would be your dream cast? Dan? I would say yes to that first part of the question. Um, I actually like Rose Matter quite a bit. I know King has trashed it. He felt like it was one of his directionless drug novels. But um, the reason I think he would be excellent with this is Mike Flanagan has proven himself several times to make these really great movies about women protagonists um, fighting against um, very crazy odds. And in Gerald's game, which I mostly liked, uh, you can read my review on Consequence of Sound. I thought he dealt with the surreal elements really well in that book or in that movie, um, like the the man made of moonlight and, you know, just the hallucinations. And Rose Matter is super trippy because it's a woman who, um, this doesn't spoil too much, but she has the ability to kind of go into paintings and escape into this different world. And so I think he would handle the surreal elements really well. I would actually say some of the stuff maybe I don't like in Gerald's game also comes from the surreal elements. Um, and I think that's because the book demands a little bit more of a realist take, whereas Rose Matter, I feel like he could really let himself run wild. Gotcha. So, gotcha. so that's, that's a big yes for me. Dreamcast, oh man. I'll, Even if you want to keep it limited to yeah. the, the, the lead. Wrote, yeah, the main woman and, and the husband. I was going to say, just now I said Dreamcast, and I was like, <laughs> my favorite video game system from the 2000s. Um, <laughs> That's a great system. Oh, man, it's, it's still been a, I mean, it's been a while since I've read it. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to spitball here. She might be a little bit too old now, but I, I would say Sama Hayek in the, in the main role. And for the husband, oh man. It's funny, I almost said Bruce Bruce Greenwood, Greenwood right? Yeah. <laughs> He's great at that. Um, but I mean, and it is he. It's a similar character in that he's this kind of uh, abusive, um, you know, monstrous guy who maybe doesn't look monstrous on the surface. Um, you know what? Fuck it. Like I said, I think they're probably a little bit older than they than they are in the book. But let's say Sama Hayek and uh, Javier Bardem because it's. A, I, I think he plays those roles um, 
like those in pursuit roles really well. Obviously, in like No Country for Old Men. Uh, so yeah, that's he, that, that's just that's just like a, a really off the top of my head. That's what I would say. He plays a good creepy him. husband, uh, mother. For yes, instance. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, mother is great. That's a fun I mean, movie I, to watch uh, over the holidays too. Yeah, and I might I might be wrong. I maybe the ages are right because I guess both those actors are what in their late forties. Well, or you 50s. know what, Dan? That's the magic of an adaptation, though. You can do yeah, whatever man. you want. You make yeah, them a little older. Make them a little older. Yeah. yeah. Why uh, not? Next question, Mike. You want to read this one? Ryan Hoyt asks. I keep noticing King uses the name Susan and variations of it in a lot of his books. Any insight as to why? Now I, I scoured the internet. I don't know, but Dan, you're you're married to a Susan, so maybe you can answer. Yeah, Dan, you must have all. Yeah, the you know when uh, when I proposed to Susan, I, I called King up. I said, Stephen, you got <laughs> you it from my wife. Oh, nice. I know you. I said I know you've been uh, you've been using that name for decades in books, and I thank you. And they hung up. He was uh, like, no, you, yeah. you marry her and you stay with her the, forever. The closest the closest thing I found was that his longtime publisher's name is Susan Muldo. That could probably be it, but. But I now it's possible that she was in another position at another publishing house and he knew her earlier. But I think their relationship is predated by the introduction of Susanna and obviously and Susan. Susan Norton. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think it, it just so happens that Susan comes along and then years like what, 15 years later, Susanna comes along and he just kind of wants to use Suzanne again just as a, a name tie in. I don't know. I, I think I, I think a lot of it might just be circumstance or well, accident. Yeah, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if, I should say it's not circumstance. It's not deliberate is what I'm saying. I think we remember the name Susan because it's sort of a, like an old timey name in a way. It's the name I love obviously, but uh, it's, it, it sounds kind of distinct, but if you, I think if you go back in his books, he's used the name Jack quite a bit. He's used the name yeah. Roland quite a bit. And for characters that have nothing to do with, with Roland Duchesne. So um, yeah, so maybe there are more of those, coincidences that we think and susan just happens to stick out and also those are like really prominent characters that he designates for that name too i agree uh sorry ryan but nobody nobody, nobody knows, knows. Uh, not even the internet knows mike next question tim vargulish one of my favorite constant listeners out yeah, there he's been there for tim. a long time cracks me up on twitter all the time you should follow him in the tradition of r-rated movies that became cartoons like rambo robocop etc had action figures for all those in the 80s mm -hmm. what stephen king property would have made the best saturday morning cartoon in the late 80s and 90s um i've got i've got there you go for it. it it would be it yeah it, i guess so because and here's what you would do you you would do it in the vein of remember the beetlejuice cartoon yeah where they kind of made beetlejuice a hero in oh that god even though absolutely not the hero yeah. in the movie at all. Is he but did you realize all the kids that love the show would go and then read the book that has an orgy sequence with all the kids fucking each other? <laughs> well, so. well if, if parents are letting their eight-year-olds read it, that's on them. You know what I mean? That is true. So that would be my uh, – that would be it. And the other thing would obviously be somebody posted on our page. It was um, a takeoff of Clifford the Big Red Dog. It was Cujo the Big Red Dog. Oh, I can see that. And it was just a big – a giant Cujo with blood running down his mouth. <laughs> I like that. Fun artwork out there like on, the, on the internet. But uh, Dan, what do you have? It's funny that you said that the thing with Beetlejuice being made into a good guy because that was such a thing in 90s cartoons like Toxic Avenger. I mean, Toxic Avenger is technically a superhero in the movies, but he's so violent and kills all these people. Oh, and yeah. He's like this cuddly uh, uh, cartoon. Um, even Swamp Thing in, in a Strange Way, who is, once again, a hero, but much more complex than the series. Um, I was actually, and it's not a book, but I was thinking Creep Show because they had that Tales from the Crypt cartoon yeah, in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also another example, though. We're going to take the Crypt Keeper, who's this kind of 
Yeah, I think a villain, and they're making him into well, yeah. and and I think just given that, I think if if it was just stuck to being a young adult cartoon anthology show that happened to be hosted by by the creep um, who we see in the movie, I think the possibilities are endless, and yeah. you could still stay within that um, the the childhood confines while also making it kind of cool. You know, I think I think that that could be a show that was both good for both kids and adults. I like that. It's because funny. Yeah, like, speaking like, of R-rated movies that are made to cartoons, it's just like when they made that platoon cartoon, and Barnes was the, was the hero. <laughs> um, it's a great Barnes reference if you know this. Yeah, Sergeant, Sergeant <laughs> Barnes's Freedom Squad. Anyway, I guess I would probably have to go with um, yeah, I don't know. But let's just choose a random one. Like um, hmm, this would be fun. The Stan. The stand, so it would be, be like Randall would be the Randall Flag, not Randall Colburn. Yeah, so Randall Flag would be kind of the Skeletor of the show. I could see it being, I could see it working. It'd be like a Skeletor, exactly. And Stu would be like He Man. He yeah. really is like the, the the perfect hero. I mean, if you think about it, it could it could work. I mean, um, you know, you just don't ever get to uh, like you know Fran and Sam, uh, Fran and Fran and Sam, Fran and Stewie uh, just don't have any um, like pound cake and you stuff. Know we, you know, what we do is we actually just incorporate Battle Cat from He Man. Yeah. Onto the Ooh, show yeah. with Stu hey, and know, Larry. It would just be huge battles every episode. Big green tigers. You know what you around. could do though, and you and you could actually do a He-Man approach is do Eyes of the Dragon and just set, just set it in that world and do like a medieval thing. I let think me see. Let me see if the song works. Hold on a second. Dun, 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 dun. Eyes of the Dragon. Dun, 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 dun. Eyes of the Dragon. Okay, we got a, we got a winner. Eyes of the Dragon. I can see like the theme song for 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 me be like stand. Stand. Oh, I thought you were doing like stand by REM. <laughs> no, no, that would be good too. <laughs> that would be really funny. That'd be actually. hilarious. But that was already done by Get a Life from by Chris Ru- Chris Elliott. Okay, uh, Captain Boy. Great question, Tim. Next question, Taylor Jean. Imagine you could direct an adaptation of a Stephen King novel and could get any band, could be popular, could be indie, to do the soundtrack first. What book would you choose to adapt, and what band would you hire to do the soundtrack? I would say The Long Walk. Mm-mm. Now, there's two different ways you go about the soundtrack, though. Okay. Okay. It would change the tone of the movie totally. You get uh, uh, One No Tricks, Point Never. Oh, that'd be awesome. Because they did a great job with uh, Good Time, especially. Love Good Time. So now we're talking about this in-your-face you know, <laughs> just psychologically trippy score, right? Or you go the opposite route. And you get uh, Warren Ellis and Nick Cave oh, man. to do it. Ooh, that's so you're, 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 now you're thinking about more of just like this rustic, westerny type vibe to it. But it, obviously that would change the movie completely. So that's how important scores are to movies, everybody. I got one. It's kind of a similar vibe. Hmm. I'm going to split it, though. And I haven't even read this book, but uh, Lacey Story and uh, get uh, Ryan Adams to do this score. Actually, that would actually oh, really so work good, well. Dude. That would work well. Granted, he's... Yeah, good. In the beginning of the book, right? He it's yeah. um when the stars go blue. That's that's like the the uh, yeah. what do you call that the um, prescript? Not, or, I can't remember. But yeah, he cites that song in the beginning of the book, right? He does. He does. I think that would actually be very uh, very effective in that. So you nailed it. Mike's like a Hollywood executive. He's like, I've read it, but we got to get Ryan Adams. Yeah, yeah, and we got to get Lisey's story together. Hey, I got ideas. Uh, just you know, just coming out of me, like Stan, Stan cartoon show. Stand, but not by REM, but not just REM. people saying stand. Yeah, it'd be good. Uh, Dan, what do you have? So I, this is kind of a left field one. I would actually adapt the short story Trucks and use ACDC, I think, for the, <laughs> the entire soundtrack. Would you make a 90-minute movie, you think? Or? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. There's plenty of material there. So, yeah, the, I know it's only like a 10-page story, but yeah, I easily stretch it out. No, no, for uh, It's funny because when I saw this question, I actually thought of a – 
musician before I even thought of a book. And, and I don't know if other people feel this way, but I have always associated Jackson Brown's 70s music with Stephen King for whatever reason. I, I my, Yeah, I can see that. It's weird. My, my, um, my mom and dad listened to it a lot when I was growing up. And when I used to play baseball as like a really little kid, my dad would just like wait in the stands and read Stephen King books. And maybe that's why Like I think I think back when I edited the stand episode, I even put the fuse by Jackson Brown at the end. Anyway, um, I think Jackson Brown, modern day Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. And his his like I guess his softer older version. Um, if they ever remade the Dead Zone, I feel like his music would capture Johnny's kind of melancholy and his romantic longing and longing for the past and all that really well. I I don't even know if I would have him. You know what I would have him do? I would have him do new versions, soul piano versions of uh, of older songs, which he's actually done well, live. You know what he would do when he when Johnny finds out that um, some the woman he loves has moved on. You know what song they would oh, use, right? Jesus Christ. Somebody's baby. You know it, Dan. <laughs> running, I'm empty. Running, I'm empty. Running up to would be played once he got blown away at the yeah, end. That, he's um, like, well, he's walking by the gazebo where the, the girls got killed. Oh. It's like, All right, let's. Um, she must be the somebody. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And that's well, at, least, at least there's no spoilers in that uh, section right there. No. Um, well, if you haven't read Dead Zone and you're listening to our podcast, a random Bag of Bones episode, read the Dead Zone. Okay. Next question. Glenn Stroud. <laughs> Maybe not everybody in this room is read the dead zone. <laughs> um, Glenn Stroud. I would love to know what each of the losers' favorite non-COS podcasts are that they listen to. Great question. And I've got a number of them. You have a ton. I We listen, we share a lot of the podcasts. We do. Though. I think the Ringer podcast, uh, love them. the Bill Simmons uh, podcast network is just great. Unbelievable. I love his podcast. Uh, the Watch is a really, really good TV podcast for all you really TV heads out there with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Black on the Air is really good. Larry Wilmore. That's great. Um, and, of course, for all you NBA fans, the NBA show. Forgetting the Rewatchables, though. And that the Rewatchables. A... Yeah, that was my last one. Oh, okay, okay. There's a number of podcasts on there. It's, it really does tap into every bit of pop culture that I love. So uh, there are a lot of uh, hot takes and uh, outrage that I feel in my blood sometimes with uh, the current culture that we live in. But um, because I'm only uh, you know uh, pansexual Jew, I can't really put a lot of those uh, views out there. But I will say I love uh, the Brady Snellis podcast. Mm, uh, yeah. I know I mentioned uh, Brady Snellis before, and I'll assure you that this episode is not sponsored by Brady Snellis. But I do love his podcast. Uh, don't know, always agree with his uh, his hot takes, but I do feel uh, he uh, speaks uh, his mind about what's going on with um, uh, the liberals in this country right now, and uh, and sometimes I get a little upset with my own party, and uh, I don't think that, and I think that he kind of puts his uh, you know puts his voice out there, puts a stamp on it, you know, sometimes. and I and I love uh, so I love his his uh, his thoughts on pop culture too. He I think he just I don't know he's great, and so even if I don't agree with him, which is something you should do, you can still listen to someone if you don't agree with them. Anyway, that's my uh, my little soapbox there. But love his podcast, a lot of fun, and uh, I also love State of the Empire, which is, I admit, a podcast that we have on the Consequence Podcast Network. But uh, I this question was very specific it. about not including COS, Dan. <laughs> I know, gonna, I know. We're going to give but, all of our plugs at the end. But I, I, I love State of the Empire, and I think it's a fun time. It is a fun time, hosted yeah. by the great Cat Blackard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, what do you got? Yeah. Yeah, I've been slacking on my podcast game um, as of late, but the ones that I, I tend to listen to on a regular basis and catch up on, uh, I love We Hate Movies. I still think they're the, I, I think they're like the OG bad movie podcast and are way better than how this get made. There, I said it. Um, they, uh, 
they're, they're taking care of business episode. I still listen to all the time and I think is fucking hilarious. Um, also their Jack Frost episode. Uh, they do both with the Michael Keaton and the, uh, the B horror movie one. Um, I like song exploder a lot, which is super short. They, uh, it's the opposite of our podcast. Um, where they'll actually have a musician deconstruct one of their songs and how they made it. Uh, they've had Weezer on there, Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, everyone. It's great. Um, there's a podcast called Guys We Fucked that I used to listen to. It's these two women uh, comedians in New York. It started off by them just having guys who they've had sex with in their past on the show as guests. I think they ran out of people, so they um, now just have anyone on there to talk about sex. And um, I've never listened to it. I've, I've been meaning to. Uh, I'm just going to give them a plug. Uh, my friends David and Carolyn have a podcast called Will and Grace and Vodka. If you're a Will and Grace fan, um, it's it's the Will and Grace equivalent to the Stephen King uh, podcast we have where they go through every episode and uh, really thoroughly analyze it. So if you're into Will and Grace, that might be worth checking out. And that show, out. I believe, got picked up for another couple seasons. So they're going to have plenty of material yeah. to, to, deal, to deal with there. Totally. So yeah, if you guys are one Grace fans, definitely check out Will and Grace and Vodka. And there's probably more I'm miss, missing. I feel, I feel like I've been uh, in such a, a podcast desert the past few weeks. I just haven't been able to listen to it like I wanted to. And also, I echo what Mike said about Brace and Ellis. I, I'll admit, I find myself disagreeing with his views more and more as time goes on. However, yeah. I love what he has to say about film and the sort of um, the lower currency we're placing on aesthetic as opposed to ideology. I think that's a huge problem in art in general. I agree, 100%. And um, he, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I definitely don't agree with his politics necessarily, but I do, I, I love his central thesis, the whole aesthetic versus ideology thing, and uh, he gets great guests too. Although I have not, I have not listened since he's gone Patreon. Um, that's why, that's where I started listening. To yeah, I, I dropped off when he went Patreon too. Yeah. It's not, not nothing uh, offensive. I just, I just didn't yeah. want to pay it right now for him. Um, and I get, but, why, uh, I get why he has to. I know that's like a thing right now and stuff. But uh, but yeah. But I was. I, I think for a while, at a certain point, I'd listen to like every single episode. Yeah, and uh, sign off before I be. I regret if I didn't say anything that Matt Gorley does is really really good. I love Matt. Oh, Gorley. 100%, um, yeah. I love the Scott Ackerman, Adam Scott podcasts on YouTube and REM. Ditto. They're also hilarious. And I love Never Not Funny, which is an earwolf. Love earwolf stuff too. I should say I, I like a lot. Okay, next question from. Not a good friend of mine, but I'm reading his name. I don't know him. His name is Dave Musson. <laughs> a weird introduction. He asks, why do you guys think that King's books regularly feature dogs being killed? We know Cy King is clearly a dog person, so why the doggy devastation? <laughs> I like that. Is it a true marker of horror? Also, are there any animals whose violent demise you would find more shocking than the dog being killed off? Let me just answer this question. Nothing upsets me more than a dog being killed on yeah, screen. That's why. That's why and, that, and that includes children. Like, I'm much more affected when the dog dies than when any human dies. So, yeah. no, nothing will ever top that. I think the reason King does it is because... It's effective. It's effective, yeah. That's good. I agree, one. yeah. I think he, I think he uh, hit on the nail this, with his question. Uh, what, what about Porg, though? Have you guys saw Porg getting killed? That, well, we did. We saw Chewie uh, cooking on an old <laughs> Porg in the, in the Last Jedi. About to eat one. But I'll tell you right now, I would eat a Porg, no question. <laughs> You'd eat a pork? I'd eat a pork, sure. Would you have sex with a pork? No, I wouldn't have sex with a pork, but I would probably eat. I, I, I have a strong and fast rule. I don't eat what I fuck. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that took a real gross double meaning, I just no, realized. But I, I really just was making a, a, carna, a cannibal joke. Okay. Oh, boy. Next question. Long-term listener and a long-time listener, Teresa Tang, asks... In the final Castle Rock scene, right before Billy the Kid gives that irksome smile, it looks like they lightly CGI'd his face to make his skin paler around the eyes and his nose ruddy. Am I the only one seeing this Pennywise nod? 
if you guys see it, do you think it means anything? I actually thought about this. Hmm. Yeah, on the second or third rewatch, whatever the fuck I watched, like I can't remember how many times I've seen it now. But yeah, he does have that sort of same sort of facial expression that he does. And maybe it's because one of my favorite Chicago artists here has been working on a portrait of Pennywise that looks very similar, and it just happened to be showing previews of it. So Vincent Van Gogh? Uh, yes, Van Gogh. Um, but uh, it does have a very similar look to, to Pennywise. And it would be kind of a deceitful thing that Pennywise or Dandelo or whoever you want to call him would do. So, Yeah, I, would, I, I don't you know. think it's Pennywise. I think the, I really just don't think it's Pennywise at all. And if it, maybe it was meant to be kind of a joke, but it doesn't fit the narrative of Pennywise for me. Obviously, the twenty-seven years thing is we've been talking about. That, I mean, that it's the, whole the twenty-seven time. thing. Is That's weird. the king illusion, but I don't think it makes any sense. The anyway, I'm, well, I mean, I'm saying I, I didn't see it. So why would they bring back Pennywise? So. I didn't. Oh, here we go. It's scary thing. All right, Dan, what do you think? Well, I still haven't. I haven't seen that. Oh scene in God, yet, you're right. Oh no, well, it, no, dude, it's no, no, no. But it's totally fine because I, I just accept that spoilers are. It's been two are weeks. Part of the territory yeah. here. Yeah, it's been two weeks. Yeah, I, I still have that one episode. Um, well, if you I, had, Dan, if you had seen the scene. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I don't. Th- I've been actually texting with my my brother in law and also constant listener Mike Blood about this. Um, he because we he, I I brought that up like early on because I think they had mentioned the the le- the the number twenty seven like he had been down there twenty seven years or something which ties to it. So I had, I told him that and he's like nah he's like it would just be too easy and I I agree with him I think it just would be too. I mean, I would kind of admire it in a way because it just seems so audacious to make that connection. But it just, it just seems too obvious and too big and, and so in line with what people were saying as soon as we found out that Skarsgård was in this to begin with. Yeah. So I just don't think they would do that. that that's just my take, though. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. Andrew Danner asks, if you had the choice to live in Derry, Salem's Lot, or Castle Rock for your childhood as well as raising your own children, which would you choose and why? And would you move away when you got older if you survived to an old age, or would you stay there your whole life? And I actually have an answer to this that would work. Uh, why don't you go then? Well, Castle Rock, Ditto. always has. No, I would say it always has oh. evilness. There's always an evil underlying Castle mm. Rock, and same thing with Jerusalem's Law. There's always some evil undercurrent before vampires even showed up. And spoiler alert, by the way, for Sam's Lot, um, and it's dairy. I'll tell you why. I would move there a year after the last time we see Pennywise. So uh, I could, I could uh, have yeah. kids and, and my kids would grow up and be in their 20s before before uh, Pennywise showed up again. I would just make sure my kids got the hell out of town. I wouldn't yeah, but them. you have to deal with like Henry Bowers and all those assholes. Now, Henry Bowers is... Mike, what do you think? <laughs> well, I would go with uh, Castle Rock because mm. a lot of the kind of evil and craziness that happens in Castle Rock is a little entertaining. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to find myself at the Campbell Ranch. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to find myself hanging around gazebos uh late at night or early in the day or during the winter um and uh you know i kind of stay away from the law sometimes so you know maybe pangborn and i will have a, a couple of drinks and i'm not to go to you know the clink a little bit so i i think i would have a fun time in castle rock and and I, i'm not gonna have kids so i don't have to worry about my kids being killed that's true that's true um and um i don't like vampires um, and uh, I like the idea that if you if you got along with vampires, maybe you would live in Jerusalem's lot. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, look, you'd have some great real estate to buy. You could probably buy like a pretty big house in, in Jerusalem's lot. Probably just take it. You could probably literally just go there and live there. Yeah, that's a good point. But at nighttime, you'd have a as problem. we learned in the great movie, A Return to Salem's Lot. Return to Salem's Lot. That's Dan, a great film. What's your answer? 
I mean, I think all three of these are, are obviously a, uh, they're losing choices just because I think even even when Pennywise is in hibernation, even when it's daytime, even when the horror in Castle Rock has subsided a little bit, I think there's this idea of evil permeating everything, you know, mm-hmm. even yeah. in everyday events. So um, I really like Justin's answer because it seems pretty easy to directly avoid Pennywise. I think I would still choose Castle Rock. Now, granted, this is me having not seen the very end of the show. Because a lot of the horror in Castle Rock seems pretty isolated, you know what I mean? Like isolated incidents. I guess you could argue that the uh, yeah, there's there's ever present evil, but for the most part, like Needful Things is its own thing, The Dead Zone is its own thing, etc. Cujo is its own thing. Whereas whereas Pennywise is always there, even if he's asleep. The vampires are always going to be there as this force, or the Cthulhu kind of thing that we see in uh, in um, Jerusalem's Lot. So yeah, I'm still going to go with Castle Rock, and it also just does seem like the most nostalgic for me do you know what i mean like dairy dairy and um dairy and salem's lot don't seem nostalgic they seem like dying towns castle rock still seem mm-hmm. like i think of stand by me so it has nostalgia for me so yeah that's it for me all right, all right, good, good answers all around i think i think yours is the most surprising and and most practical answer justin and i and i applaud you for that well i would i would agree oh fuck you too dan <laughs> um uh, but next uh, question <laughs> mike <laughs> the next question Sorry. um okay so uh oh this is a fun one uh, longtime listener Andreas Bengston uh, asked, "How do you prep an episode, both individually and as a group? For instance, do you decide someone to lead the conversation for your book discussion episode, and do you have a specific, uh, and do you have a specific way of prepping notes?" Um, it's pretty. Like, honestly, if you're we here, pretty much kept the same strategy for the last year and a half. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll just break it down for all of you curious listeners out there. Usually, about a week ahead of time, I send out an email saying who's available for certain dates. If it's you know a news episode or if it's a book episode, and then people get back, and really it's whoever hasn't been on the most recent usually wins out in the end, just so we can get a little more of a, a shakeup, so we all appear in the same amount of episodes more or less. It's harder, obviously, to get to get Dan on a lot because he's not here. Uh, same with Mel right now. That's why you haven't heard from Mel because she just started grad school uh, as well. So um, then, but for books, we do plan that out a lot earlier. Because we're just doing one book a month, it's a lot easier. We'll usually reach out, you know, a month ahead of time and say, make sure you have this book read if you're going to be on the episode. Like we were, we already know who's going to be on, like drawing out of three. Yeah, we've got misery. things planned yeah. out, which is good. And with very little exception, if Randall's here, Randall likes to lead, mm-hmm. and we're, I was more than happy to let him do that. I was like, sure. Yeah. But and then when Randall isn't around, then I do usually lead. And then, if, the and then if either of you aren't around, I'll lead. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, that's why you have to listen to my rambling ass all the and, time. But so. I know Max actually, <laughs> Mac has done a couple and Mel's done a couple just because yeah. they wanted to. And we're like, please, it's less, less work for us. So yeah, it's basically, that's really how we do it. We pretty much stuck to that formula and it's, it works out pretty well. And there's certainly been some situations where I'm like literally finished the book, like uh, right up to the recording. Um, I'm going to be absolutely transparent about that because Not true. it's just hard what I've learned over the past couple of years, or past couple of years, a year and a half, is that, I don't know, at some point I, I got, uh, there, there's some books that just take me a while to read and yeah. to get notes down. And um, I think Skeleton Crew is probably the most difficult one for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, just sometimes if you like, you can't get into it. It's just, I don't know, I just keep, it was hard to put it back. So that one, I will absolutely admit, that was the the more the toughest one for, for you. me. And and even coming up, the short stories I found were just really hard because you just have to the breakdowns that we we have. You're not we're not really doing a lot of the breakdowns for each of those. Short no, stories, we're just pretty much summing up our thoughts in your and, head. Like yeah. for me, I'm still doing it. So it's like 
it just took a while for me but yeah. um i don't know yeah that's the answer i mean it's a pretty, lots of notes pretty cut and dry yeah uh if you're thinking of starting a podcast do it because you love the material yeah yes. and and definitely plan out because it can get stressful after a while it does next question another long timer brock berkner out of the cast of castle rock the show who would you cast to lead a Stephen King film adaptation, be it a remake or an original? Now, if somebody told me that that they were going to remake Misery, whether I liked it or not, Melly Linsky as Annie Wilkes. Ooh, I like that. Be a, be a different take from the Kathy Bates character, I think, mm-hmm. too. Uh, I love Kathy Bates, but I think we get a little more subtle performance. Uh, Dan. I was actually going to say uh, Andre Holland, if they, I know they've already made a TV show out of it, but if they did a really faithful adaptation of Under the Dome, I would love to see him in the lead role of Barbie. I would too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'd yeah. Be good. I actually saw great. Barbie as a black character in the book. Mm. Yeah, I did too. I don't, I don't know. Like, there, I don't know if he specifies his he d- race he does, or not. but he's not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, King doesn't have, I wish he did have more black protagonists. So maybe, but yeah, he, I, there's just something about like Andre Holland's, I think I think he has practicality on the show while still having like an internal struggle, and he doesn't have to do it through a ton of dialogue either. And I think that would play really well for the role of Barbie. I, I think it's a stuff. shame. It's a shame that CBS already ruined it because I would love to see a ten episode series on Hulu or something. Of Under yeah, it's such a it's such an entertaining story, man. I'm surprised. Well, actually, I'm not gonna say because it's a spoiler, but yeah, no, Under the Dome to me is I, I think. It's not my favorite King novel of the past decade, but it's like his most entertaining. I think it's just so fun. It's so much fun in the book. So it's not. It's not a slog at all. It's not a slog at all. Yeah, uh, no, Mike. Nice. Do you have any uh, anybody you would cast if you had to? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would choose probably um, Bill Skarsgård to uh, come back as uh, Ben Mears. Yeah, interesting. It's Ben yeah. Mears. <laughs> Pennywise. Well, it's, yeah, it's Pennywise. And it's also it, it be a totally. Two. You, you want to get somebody who's not like the original portrayal, you know? Like that, I, th- I think it was actually a good idea to do Anthony Michael Hall instead of doing another odd eccentric actor like Christopher Walken, you know, for the Dead Zone series. So mm-hmm. I actually kind of think that would be an interesting decision there, Mike. Well, because I think back when we. I, I didn't have as much of a problem with him, but back when we talked about Salem's Lot. I feel like most of you guys thought that Ben Mears on the page is a little bit of a bit milk toast, right? And I feel like Andre Holland could. Or was that who you said? Yeah, Andre no, he said uh, Bill, Bill Skarsgård. Oh, Skarsgård. I feel like Bill Skarsgård also could um, like enliven that role a lot with with not having to do a ton. You know what I mean? Because because didn't you guys all say like Ben Mears? He felt like as a protagonist was kind of eh, like yeah, he's one of my so least favorite. In- yeah, he's it's not that. Of, he's too much of a, a superhero. Yeah, so an act, yeah. I think an actor like Bill Skarsgård could bring some complication to him in a, in a really nice way. And if he did that, it would be interesting. You would have Skarsgård in the King Universe playing a straight-up villain, an ambiguous character, and a straight-up hero. Yep. Ah. The Skarsgård cool. trilogy. would be fun. All right. Next question by a co-star from the film Legally Blonde. Matthew Davis asks, <laughs> My girlfriend and I spent a few days in Bangor. I finally pronounced it right after 20 months. <laughs> Amazing. It's a banger. Yeah. Wow, I did it. Uh, my girlfriend and I spent a few days in Bangor and took the King tour and visited Gerald Winter's bookstore. Are there any plans in the works to interview Stuart Tinker, who does SK Tours, or Gerald Winters? Mike, I ask you this question. Uh, we will eventually be doing an episode in Maine. But wait, it's going breaking to happen. news. It's news for you guys. Oh. Um, well, my cousin lives outside there. Yeah, Room so, and board you know, and flight taken care of. Easily. It's incredible. Uh, so absolutely would be talking to Stuart Tinker. 
Um, Does he run a uh, boarding house in the town of Jerusalem's lot? I <laughs> wish. I wish. Uh, Gerald Winters is a friend of the pod. He was, was actually um, was supposed to be at Greetings from Castle Rock, but uh, yours truly uh, forgot to uh, connect with him on Twitter ahead of time because I was uh, too busy trying to find uh, guests for the uh, for some stars that were related to the yeah. film. And uh, I was a little. We, we should maybe uh, see if you come out uh, for the next. We all we are going to do another one, so that's all we'll say right now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he, we, he's a friend of the the podcast. Wants to get involved with us a little bit more. Uh, love uh, everything he does. I cannot wait to actually go to his store. Um, just seeing all the stuff that he shares on his own Twitter account always makes me salivate because I still want to can I still want to collect all the first editions I can get, but he's got a ton. But um. Yeah, so next one. Tracy Tordoff. What profession of any main character would you like to see in a new book, and how would you like to see that profession be used in that book? Podcaster. Oh, let's go. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, like I, feel, I feel like that's the last... <laughs> Fine. We've like reached the end of Stephen King. He this is the end. Like, what, what, what do you talk about? Do you talk about podcaster? I don't know. And try to make that interesting and horrific, especially if it's about us. Uh, I would yeah, probably would be go, horrific. I, I think he probably. I don't know. Maybe like a writer. <laughs> maybe a struggling writer. <laughs> <laughs> what about an alcoholic that, that mm, writes? <laughs> I like this idea. No, I, I think honestly, like. I'd like to see an oceanographer and maybe him do a deep sea story. Yeah, we, we've talked about that. I want past. a deep sea story, Stephen. Stephen, just give it to me. Damn. Oh, man. I think podcaster is great. <laughs> I feel like I always really like uh, I really like King's working class guttural job character. So I feel like a guy who picked up roadkill for a living. And we also haven't seen him do a, a, a true monster story in quite a long time. So... I don't know. Maybe he could come across the corpse of some strange beast and it attacks him. I don't, that's like the lamest answer, but yeah, that, that was the first hey, thing I had. I, I, I would welcome another monster story. I'm, yeah, I'm we haven't gotten one in a while. I'm trying to think in um, in the past few short story collections if there's been a like. And I'm talking like a straightforward like a you know werewolf vampire um, like creature uh, kind of thing. Like Monsters Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> what about yeah, Monsters yeah. University Incorporated? Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to, to think. Are we forgetting something here? That's a straight up. I mean, there have been books like, uh, you know, The Seventh Dark Tower has some monsters we see in it, but I'm trying to think. But since then, nothing. I don't think there's been anything. Yeah, like what, like has there been, there hasn't been like an it where it's people facing off against a creature in quite a long time. Revival's got a monster in it. Yeah, there's a monster in Revival, yeah. I guess I'm trying to think of like, or maybe a better way to put it where the the central villain is a monster. Like, you know, your, your Salem's Lot. And, you know, there's a dog, there's a car, you know, it's something, an actual demon or a monster as the actual antagonist throughout. Yeah, it's tough to even think about. But yeah, I would like to see a return to that before he hangs it up for good. Um, Next question from Tracy Tordoff. No, that's we did that one. Um, No, I want to ask you one more time. Oh, wow. What profession, if any main character, would you like to see in a new book? And how would you like to see that profession be used in that book? I'm sticking with podcaster. (laughs) <laughs> Mike, you said oceanographer. I, said oceanographer. Dan, I think you felt like uh, roadkill. Uh, yeah, okay, good, great, great answers again, again. Second time's a charm. Next question. Another constant listener, Tracy Tordoff asks, "What profession <laughs> of any main character would you no, like to Kyle, see?" Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Orozovich. <laughs> this is right. a very good question. Okay, okay. Is the song "This House Is Not For Sale" about Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters in Beetlejuice? Now, before we answer, for all of you out there who do not know. We're not talking about the Bon Jovi song. 
This house is not for sale. Okay. We're talking about the Ryan Adams song. And now, Mike, can you run through the lyrics real quick mm-hmm. here? And, and while you're looking for that, I will kill some more time. Yeah, here it is. Okay, here it is. The ha- this house is not for sale, written and performed by Ryan Adams. Tell him that the house is not for sale. We're still living here. How can nobody tell? Uh, or how come nobody can tell? They're taking all the furniture and moving our things. Come on, our little honey. Put your head on my knee. Tell them that the house is not for sale. Okay, now this is this is exactly what happens in Beetlejuice. Yeah, they're confused, and the, the new family comes into town. They start moving stuff all around. They're they're confused as to what's happening. Next verse. Wait, wait, real quick, and also head on my knee. Well, we haven't, we, haven't got, we haven't got there yet. Oh, no, we, we haven't. No, I thought it said no, we did. We did. He goes, "Come on, little honey, put your head on my knee." Okay, we got there. What, did, what does that mean? Tracy Tordoff asks, "What profession?" Of, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I'm lost. I'm lost. Okay, continue. Um. Well, he says, do you remember when we even bought this thing? I dance you across the wooden floor. And they do have wooden floors. They in the do have wooden floors. And you sign the lease. What happened in the car that night? It, it, they don't remember. Remember? That when the but It ca- happens during the day, though. That is the question now. That was what I wanted to bring uh, up. what you're saying. Because they don't remember what happens in the car accident. Remember, they, they mm-hmm. show back at the house and they're kind of wet or whatever. Yeah. But they don't realize that they're dead. I, but it I is night. I for that. I think what happened was Ryan Adams was doing a lot of speedballs and just <laughs> left out that detail when he wrote Love is Hell. Well, because here's, here's the third verse really says it. Tell them that the house is not for sale. When we, we can grab a couple of sheets and give them quite a scare. I remember lying on the bedroom floor. You were holding me, honey, shaking my soul. Tell them that the house is not for sale and calm down. Calm down. And he does scare them. Mm-hmm. They, they Both of them do. They scare yeah. the, the new couple. And I'll go sheets. back to the the head on my knee because he does he Alec Baldwin takes off his head right at one point yeah like, like, yeah that's the, and I, does he put it on his knee I don't, I don't remember or on her knee it's very possible the the crazy yeah. thing is though for some reason Ryan's has never confirmed this and I don't think yeah. he really even asked him the question we have well, never gotten I mean, I'm not kidding I, I went on the internet just to make sure but I'm telling you there's yeah. no confirmation out there that this is about Beetlejuice has but anybody, I've always um, assumed it was has anybody like ever tweeted him about it probably I, I'm I gonna tweet know. him right now you should tweet him. He used to follow me, and then he stopped following me because this uh, is the exciting, this, you know. exciting this year. <laughs> no, um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's shared he's shared COS articles a lot, and uh, yeah, he, he doesn't do a ton of interviews. Me. If we did ever get to interview him, that would be like the first fucking thing. I, I would just be like, please, just confirm this, and and we'll get on with the rest of the interview. But like, because that that has been a topic of conversation for like a decade now, right? I feel like you and your brother Justin have. I, I didn't even realize that you and your brother brought yeah. it up. And I'm like, holy shit, I think you're right. I I think. I think we're right. I think we're right. Next question. Another long time. Well, long time uh, people still, still hanging with us despite all the hours of tangents and, and nonsense. Bill Bradley asks, whom do you think is the most Kingian portrayal of himself as a character in his books other than including himself in the Dark Tower books? I think we might all agree on this one. Or maybe, I'm, maybe somebody will have a left field guess or answer. You first, Justin. I, I think Jack Torrance. Yeah, that's I agree. I, I think say. at least at that time, I mean, he was even talking about the stress of having a family. Um, you know, he got inspired by staying at the hotel. Alcoholism was really starting to play a part in his life. I think it's Jack Torrance. I would go with Bill Denbro. I could see. Mm-hmm. Uh, get ready yeah. for get ready for our it episodes because yeah. we've got a lot about King and 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 Denbro. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I feel like young adult Stephen King. Is Denbro and then Family Man Stephen King is Jack Torrance, if that makes sense. I can see that, yeah. And I think uh, I think Old King is Bill Hodges. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> he wishes. Yeah, I yeah I think Jack Torrance at least at that time period. Didn't we say also that um, 
Ben Mears is maybe like idealized yes. superhero king. That's like, yes. in, in so in so wish he was, you know. In so in so king. Okay, there you go. Short but simple, and we don't usually keep it simple, but we definitely don't keep it short. Next question. P.D. Snowfeather Allen asks... It's a great name, by the way. Great name. I was going to say, all these names are awesome, and they sound like they could be king characters. Uh, I love love all your names. Love your names, listeners. We approve of your names, and I'm going to ask this question he has. Have you ever seen a ghost and then written about them? I have seen many ghosts, Mm -hmm. and I have not written about them, unfortunately, yet. But we've talked about them on our Souls Midnight episodes. Which you can go back to. That's right. From last October. We've got a couple of these. So... Uh, Dan, what about you? Because you, you're obviously a writer. Yeah, I you know I don't know if I've ever seen an honest to goodness ghost. Um, I don't think I have. You I have, did have because uh, I, you had something that we both confirmed as seeing. Holy shit! Oh my gosh, you're right. Oh, it's, okay. like, it's like it all over again. You're, know, you're remembering right? oh, the past. Man, no, I really have, all right. I'll tell the story really really quick, but I have not written about this. Um, although I oh man, that's crazy because I actually did. The way I'm about to describe the ghost, I used in a play to describe um, to describe a ghost. So I guess I have written about the ghost. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I repressed it. So my, Mike and I just were, like um, Bill Denbro uh, wrote so about weird. certain monsters from his past too. Wow, listeners, you're, you're, getting, you're getting insight into our in our psyches, our psyche, collective psyche. So Mike, uh, I used to live in this big house, and Justin did too. Yeah, tell uh, your first part. Yeah, all right. So we used to live in this house uh, in uh, Ainsley Street. Um, which is a street in Chicago, a big house. And there was always like between five and 10 people living there. So it was this huge house, but we were all paying dirt cheap rent. And I lived in the basement for the five years I was there. And I had a workout bench down there. So one night I was lifting weights and I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep. And I think I'd been up for a while as you tend to do in your, in, in your early twenties. And there was a, an entrance to my left that you could just see out of the corner of your eye if you were laying down on a bench and, and lifting weights. So it was like the entrance to the hallway. And this figure started walking in and the best way I can describe him, I guess, is that he was sepia, like he looked like an old movie kind of, but his face was blank and he actually had a very neatly combed hair that kind of reminded me of uh, uh, Pascal Sands brain injury in Pet Cemetery. And he was wearing, he was wearing like all khaki. It was just this like tan ghost. That's what, that's why, that's what I called him. And I drop, I like literally dropped these two weights. I looked over and it was gone. It freaked me the fuck out. And then, uh, Mike, why don't you pick up the story when you, uh, we were all this playing was like, poker? Yeah, was it, it was, was like a year later, people, I think, or something people. like that. And we, yeah, we had a lot of people were there, and um, it's upstairs too. This so was we were up, up. We were upstairs, and you're in like the actual main living room area. And it was getting kind of late. It was just like two people were left um, playing at that point. Um, and I was just kind of sitting there, and all of a sudden, I saw this like tan thing like standing right behind uh clancy actually mm. um and i looked up again and it was gone and then that's and you didn't I, say anything at first you just looked I weird anything, i just got yeah. really cold and i just was like because i was just like ah, i'm probably tired or something like that but i was still kind of creeped out by what i saw and then i described it to you and then that's when you told me like the story about the thing the weight bench downstairs mm. which was kind of because i remember i looked over at you during poker and, and it wasn't until i feel like well like an hour or so later because i remember you just like got really weird for a few minutes and then we talked about it later and um yeah, I, I I used that description of a ghost in this play. Actually, I, a play I wrote about the Halloween series called Haddonfield that Justin was in a reading of a long time ago. Um, and so, yeah, I did write. Man, dude, I, I seriously had like, I don't know if I repressed it, but I, it's like a flood of memories coming back now, both of you, you saying that. So 
Yeah, I, I lived creepy, in the house, house for a couple of years, and I would do because the washer and dryer was in the basement, like you were saying, Dan, where you used to work out. The washer and dryer was down there, so I would obviously, you know, I'd go down to do my washing and drying a lot. I'd be in the house by myself a lot. Uh, never saw a ghost. Um, <laughs> such a dick. He's like, he's like, he's I was like leading up to like get ready, guys. Like, well, uh, if you if you listen closely, sometimes mm, now mm. you'll hear the uh, you'll hear the lady Soltero um, <laughs> haunting her call. Okay, we can't keep that. We can't use that. Yeah, I cut that. I cut that. that. <laughs> but that's another. That's, just, thought that's where you were going. Oh like, no, that's where no. I thought you were going. Also. No, but that's I love that. If you what was it? If you listen closely on a certain Thursday night. You may hear be- 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 behind the blue sheets of of, of, a, of a lady laughing at the ending of a CSI Miami episode on her iPad. It was um, just disturbing. We'll, we'll tell make you sure, yeah, Make sure uh, we edit this out. It's gonna be We're going to edit it out. We'll edit it out. God, what if we oh don't and you just forget that he gets out there? Oh, God. What's the worst that will happen? I don't know. I, I still see people. Sergio will just be like, what are you doing? Nah, I feel like, um, yeah. anyway. like, you should not kept your mother in that basement. Yeah, anyway, um, okay. Tell me why I'm going to pick up again. Last question. Our good friend Diane Stroud. Another another long timer. She was at the uh, Greetings from Castle Rock. Uh, oh yeah, she was. With, That's uh, right. With Glenn, we actually. met a lot of great people out there. Great, great, uh, great fan. Mike, I'm going to ask you this question because mm-hmm. Dan and I have not seen this film. I don't think Dan's seen it. Dan, chime in if you have. I have not. I there want to. I mix. And and don't worry, I'm I'm fine with spoilers. No, I don't want any spoilers here. So okay. keep it as don't spoil any plot points. Obviously. Oh, I won't. Have you seen the Predator? Yes. And what did you think of our boy Tommy Jane? I have all sorts of feelings. Ooh, I wonder what those feelings are, Diane, because uh, I really liked him in this uh, this movie. That's what I hear. And he uh, he plays a character with Tourette's, uh, and Tom Jane goes all in. You really believe it? And the best thing about this film, this film is very flawed, but the best thing about it is that the characters are just a blast, and Shane Black just goes all full on Shane Black writing these characters and Tom Jane is one of them and Tom Jane goes all in on Tom Jane. Everyone's just kind of giving it their all in this movie and Tom Jane is just, it's funny because he's like maybe the seventh or eighth most important character in the movie and uh, and every time he's on, you just like, he's not, he, he's just a magnetic presence to him but what can you say? He's Thomas Jane. I, I fucking love him. Love him to death. Still not a role I haven't seen. And fun fact, um, he's I, I saw Thomas Jane yesterday watching uh, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that's Christy right, Christy Swanson. And he plays uh, he plays a gas station attendant that works with. Is he Luke Perry's best friend or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, young, young. Thomas also, uh, is this Sasha Jensen Jensen from Halloween Four and, and uh, Days of Confused? Isn't Days it? Of Confused, yeah. And also, uh, Paul Rubens is in it. Yes, Paul Rubens. Okay. Who didn't get in any trouble during the 90s. Nope. That was actually his comeback. Remember that? Oh, yeah, it was actually. That was his was that first movie? After yeah, his, that was his first videos. pop culture thing. After, uh, after he uh, jerked off at a porn theater. Well, um, you know, we all, we've all been there. He's at a porn theater. Not uh, a regular theater. Let's just put that out there. Anyway, um, on that note, thanks to everybody <laughs> once again for writing in. Great questions this time around. Uh, we had a lot of fun picking through our own brains and, and trying to find answers for you. And I noticed a lot of these answers... Um, we're kind of left open because we don't know the definitive answers, especially with that Ryan Adams song. One day we'll find out. Maybe we'll talk to him. Maybe he'll respond to our tweet. Who knows? But here's the the big announcement we have to make now. Get out your calendars if you if you haven't already. And once again, this will prove that you listened to this episode because we are once again going to tell you the breakdown 
for our it episodes. So the first episode is going to drop on Friday the 28th, and we're going to be covering part one, The Shadow Before. Following Friday, October 5th, part two, June of 1958. October 12th, part three, Grown Ups. October 19th, part four, July of 1958. And we're going to end the book discussion, end the book discussion on October 26th with part five, The Ritual of Chud. And then we're not even going to be done yet because on November 2nd, we are going to be talking about the miniseries adaptation and the film adaptation. And I'm looking forward to it. I've got so many freaking notes. And I am currently, for all of you wondering, I'm a good, I'm a good way through part four of my reread of it. Mike, I know you're listening to the Stephen Weber audiobook, which I, I would encourage everybody out there to do if you, if, you feel, if you feel like you don't want to reread it again or you've read it recently. Check out the audiobook. Mike says it's really good, right, Mike? It's great. Stephen Weber does uh, an impeccable Pennywise. I'm looking forward to checking some selections out on that, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dan, are you rereading it? I know you've got pretty much a photographic memory at this point. So are you going to reread it, or what are you going to do? Guys, I'm not trying to brag. I started rereading it in Chicago. Oh, uh, yeah, you told me this. Yeah, A week later. I'm sorry. I I, uh, I, I plowed through it. What can I say? say? I'm usually a very voracious reader, and I I probably could have knocked this out within a few weeks. But the summer was really nice here in Chicago this year, and I was just yeah. out. I was out a lot, so and it was I, balls hot. In the I've heard houses. of a Speed Demon, but Speed Reader, yeah. <laughs> well, no, know what it was too. To be Peter fair, during around. during that week, I got it back. I was I would because we don't have public transit here, so I was riding the train a lot, and I was on airplanes a lot. So I had like a lot of time to to just sit down and not worry about anything but reading, you know. Well, I was but, too busy romancing the stone to be reading, so uh, looks like I, uh, you know, screwed up on that one. But you still found reading, the, the jewel of the uh, and I have a week to go, so uh, this will be fun. Less than a week, but yeah, it'll be good. But it's fine because you know we're we're breaking it up. Before. You've got a whole month and a half to finish it at this point. That's true. So don't you know just I'm good. dump the first part by next week. You're fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'll be all right. Well, listen. Thanks again, as always, for listening. And if you have liked what you've heard and you haven't done so already, please leave us a review on whatever. Uh, device or app you listen to, I guess is the best way to put it, right? Although Stitcher, by the way, does not have uh, reviews. You can't leave reviews. So if you listen to us on Apple, leave us an iTunes review. Just go for the iTunes. Definitely. Um, Be sure to check out our other fine, fine, fine series on the Consequence Podcast Network, uh, which include... Halloweenies, which Halloweenies. we mentioned earlier that we're on. We're wrapping up soon. A very important for all of you horror heads out there or genre uh, genre excuse me, or genre heads out there. Uh we will be doing a series on the films of John Carpenter in our filmography podcast that I know I will be taking a part in. Uh Mike, you'll be taking part in, I think. I will right? be. Yeah. And Americana episode. A fellow loser, my brother Mac, will also be taking a part in. And that's gonna kick off in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We also have a bunch of other great podcasts. Mike, you mentioned State of the Empire out there. State of the Empire is going strong. Uh, they are currently going through all of the old, unused Indiana Jones scripts. Wow. So seeing what uh, could possibly be used for Indiana Jones 5. Or hopefully because, not used. Or not used, yeah. Because uh, nothing gets left untouched in uh, the Lucasfilm universe, as, they, right. as you uh, know from past uh, films, including Solo. A Star Wars story, which is currently available right now on Blu-ray. And if uh, you want to soar through the galaxy far, far away in a way that hasn't been told in about 30 years, you will enjoy that movie. But uh, you also will love This Must Be the Gig with host Lior Phillips, who has just been doing an amazing job. 
this great whole year. Yeah. Great guests. You want to learn all about the best concerts from your favorite artists and, uh, and some of the worst concerts. Listen to her podcast. It's great. She Discography some... is also out there. They did Frank Zappa and now Janet Jackson. And then they will be coming back with uh, a very familiar rock band uh, from England that uh, you might uh, you might enjoy. Um, oh, Oasis. Yeah, yeah, not Oasis, uh. but uh, close. <laughs> but yeah, no, very very excited to see uh, what's all going to be going down on uh, the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out those feeds, folks. There's a lot of good t- content out there and. If for some reason you can't get enough of us, we're all over those podcasts. So be sure to check us out. That's true. Uh, on that note, Dan, Mike, thanks for for being here again. You know, hey. Dan, we miss you. We hope, we hey, I miss you guys too. I'll see. Uh, I'll see. I'll see you soon enough. Soon hey, enough. You're, you get to see Halloween in two days. Oh, oh, yeah, by, by the time this by the time this episode comes out, you will have seen Halloween. Uh, I'm like so. The way it works for badges is you have to like apply, you have to like rank your films and apply for them, and they let you know if you have a, a definite ticket. So I mean, even if you don't, you can still wait in line. But I'll know tomorrow night by the if I have to wait in line or not. And I'm hoping I don't have to, but uh, I'm so excited. Well, you know, as always, watch out for Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And text yeah. me right when you're done, so yes, I could, uh, we could be, you know we could go back and forth on it because. Part of me wants to know some things about the movie that I could yeah, I'll spoil, yeah, I'm I'm fine I'm fine giving spoilers if anyone wants them. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, everybody, long days and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. I got Consequence Podcast Network.